20-year-old Angela, or Angie Hammond, had plans to meet up with her boyfriend Rob after spending some time with another friend. But as the night of April 4, 1991 progressed, Angie was starting to get tired. Without a phone at home, Angie decided to stop by a local payphone in order to call Rob and let him know that she was going to return home instead. As the two talked, however, a two-tone green truck would begin to circle the payphones. Only a few minutes later, Rob would hear Angie scream. She would disappear into the night, never to be seen again. Speculations in this case were at first that a serial killer had targeted women in the area. However, 30 years after her disappearance, a new lead might actually offer up some new details in what happened to Angie Hammond. Today's case, we talk about the abduction of Angie Hammond. Hi, I'm your host, Missy, and I'm about to take you on a wild ride. Stories with plot twists, shocking endings, and unbelievable truths. Trust me when I tell you that this story is nuts. Angela Hammond, who went by Angie, was well-liked and popular, and so it made sense that she would fall for the popular and handsome 18-year-old football player Rob Schaefer, a senior at Clinton, Missouri High School. The two began dating in November 1990, and only a few months later in January of 1991, Angie discovered that she was pregnant with the couple's child. Though young, they were excited to start a family, and they would quickly get engaged. Angie continued to take classes at Central Missouri State University, as well as work as a bank teller. On April 4, 1991, Angie spent the day with Rob, her best friend Kyla, and her mother Marcia at a barbecue. By 9 p.m., Angie, Kyla, and Rob would leave to go, according to Marcia, goof around. Angie would drop Rob off at home at 10 p.m. to watch his little brother until his mother came home, after which Rob and Angie had planned to meet up again. Kyla and Angie would spend the night driving around town in Angie's 1987 red Mustang, something Angie loved to do. Angie would drop off her friend at around 11.15 p.m., but at this time she realized she was starting to get far too tired and just wanted to return home instead of hanging out with Rob. Because she did not have a phone at home, Angie would stop at a payphone that was located in the parking lot of the food barn. It is known that Angie had swiped her credit card at around 11.23 p.m. at the payphone. But as Angie talked on the phone to Rob, she noticed a strange two-tone green truck begin to circle the payphones. Odd indeed, but Angie wasn't concerned until the man parked his truck next to her car and got out to use the payphone next to her. Rob asked Angie to describe the man, just in case. Angie would describe the man as being between 20 to 35 years old he had dark collar-length hair and a mustache. He was dirty-looking and wore glasses and overalls. Maybe he even wore a baseball hat. The driver's truck was a two-tone green. The top half was lighter and the lower half darker, with the two greens only being separated by a chrome stripe. A huge fish mural covered the entire back window. The driver stood in the payphone next to Angie for a moment. Then he got out, 
went back into his truck, started rummaging through it, as though he was looking for something, with a flashlight. Thinking that maybe the payphone next to hers wasn't working, Rob told Angie to ask the stranger if he needed to use the payphone, and he responded that maybe he would try again in a few minutes. It was just a few minutes later, however, that Rob would hear Angie scream and drop the phone, allowing him to also hear the man's voice on the other end say, I didn't need to use the phone anyway. Rob, who only lived about seven blocks from the food barn, rushed out to his vehicle, hoping to get to Angie in time. As he sped toward the food barn, he passed a green truck, where he would hear a voice from the inside cry, Robbie! which was what Angie had called him. Quickly sending his vehicle into reverse, he would give chase, but he would only make it two miles. Unknown to Rob, his quick switch into reverse had damaged his transmission, and his truck died just as the other truck turned right and sped away. Rob would flag down a passing driver and try to convince her to follow the truck, but instead she would drive him to the police station in order for him to file a report on Angie's abduction. Immediately, Rob Schaefer was a suspect in the disappearance of his fiancée, Angie Hammond. And over the next few days, Rob would be interrogated multiple times. One week later, on April 11, 1991, Rob would be given a voice stress test as well as a polygraph. Passing both, he would be cleared in the case. Witnesses also came forward claiming that they too had seen a suspicious green truck in the area, around the payphones at around 11.30, 11.45 p.m. on the evening of April 4, 1991. Missouri State Police and Highway Patrol would begin to search for the two-tone green truck, a late 60s, early 70s Ford pickup with a white roof and possible damage to the front fender, the fish jumping out of water mural on the entire rear window. Witnesses say that the license plate may have contained an X and a Y, but the truck was covered in mud and rust and no one could get an actual good read of it. Computer searches on all registered vehicles, matching either the color or the mural, would lead them to about 1,600 possible matches, but none of them actually ended up being a match. Investigators were soon beginning to suspect that Angie Hammond's case was actually connected to two other cases of women who had gone missing not too far from Clinton, Missouri, and shortly before Angie Hammond had. Just a few months before Angie was abducted, at 10 p.m. on January 19, 1991, 42-year-old Trudy Darby was working her shift at the K&D County Corners convenience store when she noticed a suspicious man lurking outside of the store. Feeling uneasy, she decided to call her adult son, Wayland, to have him come down to the store. Once Wayland arrived at the store only 10 minutes later, however, the place was abandoned. Trudy Darby and the $220 she normally left in the till for the morning employees was gone. Two days later, Trudy's nude body would be found on a riverbank, shot twice in the back of the head by a 38 caliber gun. A little over a month later, 30-year-old Cheryl Ann Kenny, also a convenience store employee at LJ's Quality Convenience in Nevada, Vernon County, Missouri, disappeared after closing the store on the evening of February 27, 1991. Before leaving the store that evening, the janitor at the store noticed that a strange man had been inside the store when he left. Cheryl would have left shortly after at around 10.15 p.m., Witnesses did also claim to hear screams around that same time. 
Cheryl Ann Kenny's car was left abandoned in the parking lot, but she was never found. Though investigators suspected that the three cases in Missouri were all connected, they did not have anything to tie the cases together, and each one of them would go cold. Detectives were diligent, however, and would continue to look into any other cases that seemed similar to either Trudy's, Cheryl's, or Angie's. Investigators did receive a tip in the summer of 1991 of a man with a 1969 green truck, which had recently been painted white. The unnamed man had also recently been arrested for the assault of a teenage girl, but the man could prove he was in fact not in Missouri at the time of Angie's abduction, and that he had been in California, and that the truck had in fact been painted before her disappearance. Other leads would also come up in this case when bringing investigators to search a 60-acre farm in which constant rumors as well as a psychic said both Angie and the truck were buried on the property. Nothing was discovered during the search. Investigators also looked into a serial killer, Kenneth McDuff, but when they questioned him about Cheryl, Trudy, and Angie, he refused to cooperate, and nothing actually tied him to the murder or disappearances of the three women. In May of 1995, Jess Rush and his half-brother Marvin Cheney were arrested and charged with the murder of Trudy Darby after a tip came in that Jess Rush had admitted to being involved in the murder when he was only 15 years old. Jess would later tell a fellow inmate the details of how the two men had abducted Trudy from the K&D convenience store, brought her to a barn, and proceeded to sexually assault her. Once the assault was over, Marvin shot Trudy in the back of the head, placed her in the trunk of his car, and they went to the riverbank, where they would notice that she was still alive. Once again, they would shoot her in the back of the head and then throw her into the river, where she would be found two days later. Police suspected that the men could have also been responsible for the abduction of Angie Hammond, especially after hearing rumors that one of the men had owned a green truck. However, Yet again, there was no evidence that they had anything to do with Angie's case, and once again, the case went cold. In April of 2021, 30 years later, investigators are starting to believe that Angie Hammond's case is actually one of mistaken identity. Shortly before her abduction, a local police informant had testified in a court case that would end in a legal narcotics operation. This informant would receive a ransom-style letter with cut-and-paste letters postmarked on the very day that Angie Hammond had disappeared, April 4th, 1991. And I'm going to actually read this letter that the informant received. And there are a few things in this letter that are redacted. Those are believed to be the informant number or the case number, as well as the informant's ex-wife's name. So... Here we go. It says, hello, number blank. We know who you are, number blank. People like you deserve what you get. We know where your foxy daughter is at. She will see us soon. Tell blank she has our deepest sympathy in her further loss. Goodbye, blank. It is very obvious that the letter was threatening the informant's daughter, whose name was not only Angela but also bore a striking resemblance to Angela Hammond as well. It is now believed that Angie was abducted by accident and the true intended victim to be the informant's daughter instead. A phone call was also made recently to authorities regarding the case and naming two names. However, police were unable to get a hold of the caller or to find out any further information, 
though they state if anyone has any other information to contact the Clinton, Missouri Police Department at 660-885-2679. As for Cheryl Ann Kenny, her case still remains unsolved and she has never been found. Rob Schaefer, Angie's boyfriend, eventually married and had children of his own, though he still deals with the guilt of not being able to save Angie on that terrible night. According to sources, he still stays in contact with Angie's family, and they all pray that they can eventually get closure in her case. And let's just hope that the new lead in this case will eventually do that. We know that somebody knows something. Somebody always knows something. And so we can just hope that after, I know it's been 30 years, but hopefully they can be at peace here with the case. What do you think about the case? What are your theories? If you have any theories, you want to share them with our Facebook group. It is facebook.com backslash the story is nuts podcast. And if you have a story suggestion, please send it to me at thisstoryisnuts at gmail.com. Always, thank you so much for listening. That is going to do it for today's story. And come back next week for an all-new episode of This Story Is Nuts, which airs every single Wednesday. Until then, stay nutty, my friends. Nuts was written and produced by Missy Reese with music by Logan Reese off of Groovepad.